The Old Pilot's Plain Tales The Triangle We are all aware that they walk amongst us. No, not aliens who have disguised themselves as humans, but those who believe they have. I have no wish to offend believers, but I'm afraid I don't class myself as one who gives credence to pseudoscience, such as the modern flat earthers, astrologists, geocentrists, moon landing deniers, hollow earthers, ley line new ageists, colon cleansers, crystal healers, hexagonal water sellers, tinfoil hat wearers, urine drinkers, phrenology believers, levitators or rumpologists who can apparently read your character and future by examining the crevices, dimples, warts, moles and folds of your buttocks. Call me a little sceptical, but I'm not sure that we're the genetically engineered labourers of the Anunnaki of Nibiru, who apparently came to Earth 400,000 years ago. Seemingly clever enough to create us to do their bidding, their culture wasn't up to surviving an ice age, so they departed, leaving us behind, a bit like abandoning an unwanted pet. Nor do I believe that an obscure mystic from central India met a great saint who revealed to him a manuscript written in Sanskrit that was several thousand years old. The Shastra gave details of various types of aircraft for both civil and military aviation, including cargo-carrying helicopters, as well as comprehensive descriptions of the principles of flight, which, sadly, violate Newton's laws of motion. It appears that the manuscript came into existence between 1900 and 1922 and was made by channeling long-dead ancient rishis. Right, brothers, step aside, you weren't the first. I could mention many other pseudosciences, but risk alienating more of you than I would like. But many beliefs just don't adhere to accepted scientific standards, the scientific method, falsifiability of claims and such. That is not my aim. I just want to refute one. And while I'm on the subject, please don't write to me in support of your own beloved piece of quirkiness. Aside from telepathy, werewolves, clairvoyance, witches, and Carl Sagan's invisible dragon that he keeps in his garage, I don't believe in any of them. Many times I flew from London to Florida or the Caribbean, taking a fuselage full of holiday makers out to enjoy the delights of the sunshine state or down to exotic tropical islands like St. Lucia. On the way, I would often pass over the British overseas territory of Bermuda and would look down on the beautiful pink sand beaches and the cerulean blue waters dotted with coral reefs. It would look idyllic, but little did I know that I was about to fly into one of the most dangerous pieces of airspace in the world, or so many would have me believe. I was about to enter the Devil's Triangle, the limbo of the lost, 
the twilight zone or the hoodoo sea, more commonly referred to as the Bermuda Triangle. Both the Miami Herald and Fate magazine had mentioned unusual disappearances in the Bermuda area, but the name was first coined in the February 1969 edition of the pulp magazine Argosy. Long before the myth of the Bermuda Triangle became popular, Bermuda had already earned a reputation as an enchanted island. It was nicknamed the Devil's Islands by early sea travellers, frightened by the calls of the Carhau birds and the squeals of wild pigs that could be heard on the shore. But perhaps the most damning tales were told by sailors terrified of shipwreck on Bermuda's treacherous stretch of reefs. The island's mystical reputation was perhaps immortalised in Shakespeare's The Tempest, a tale of shipwreck and sorcery in The Still-Vexed Bermuths. The early origin of the Triangle myth stretches as far back as Columbus, who noted in his logbook a haywire compass, strange lights and a burst of flame falling into the sea. Columbus, as well as other seamen after him, also encountered a harrowing stretch of ocean, now known as the Sargasso Sea. Ancient tales talk of sailboats stranded forever in a windless expanse of water, surrounded by seaweed and the remnants of other unfortunate vessels. The Triangle is a loosely defined area that stretches between Bermuda, the southern tip of the Florida Panhandle, and Puerto Rico, although some writers wishing to inflate its importance by including more distant incidents have claimed it reaches out all the way to the Irish coast. The Triangle covers between 500,000 to one and a half million square miles, depending on what events its proponents wish to include. Its early history, of course, dealt mainly with ships lost at sea. One of the most notorious was the mystery of the Mary Celeste, a merchantman carrying a cargo of alcohol that left Hoboken, New Jersey, in October 1872. It was discovered some six weeks later, still under sail, and when boarded it was found deserted. The cargo was more or less intact, the rigging in poor condition, and there was three and a half feet of water in the bilge, but all in all it was seaworthy. However, the ship's boat was missing. But since this is a plain tale and not a ship story, I won't go into all the details of this unexplained abandonment, other than to mention that the Mary Celeste is regularly cited as a victim of the Bermuda Triangle, except that it was found on the wrong side of the Atlantic Ocean, halfway between the Exors and Portugal, and hadn't been anywhere near the fabled terrifying territory of tragedy. Boats aside, I'm actually going to talk aircraft, and of course the famous loss of Flight 19, a formation of five Grumman TBF Avengers, which went down on December the 5th, 1945, in the Bermuda Triangle. 
this tragic occurrence, which happened shortly after the end of the Second World War, killed all 14 pilots, bombardiers and gunners involved, plus the 13 crewmen on board a Martin PBM flying boat that was subsequently launched to search for them. Flight 19 was on a routine navigation and combat training exercise called Navigation Problem Number 1. The flight leader had some 2,500 hours of experience, whilst the student pilots following him had only 300 hours each. Navigation Problem Number 1 was an exercise in dead reckoning, in that it took place without reference necessarily to features on the ground and was conducted over the ocean using a stopwatch and compass. The aim was to get airborne from Fort Lauderdale and fly east for 50 minutes, bomb the hen and chicken shoals, and then fly north for 70 miles before turning left onto a heading of 240 degrees and fly the 120 miles back to their starting point. The flight leader was supervising the mission and a trainee was leading the formation from the front. Radio calls heard by other aircraft confirmed that the formation completed its first leg and practiced bombing satisfactorily. It was on the next leg that the problem appears to have occurred when the student leading transmitted I don't know where we are. We must have got lost after that last turn. Others in the formation gave suggestions, and another aircraft called the flight leader, who replied saying, Both of my compasses are out, and I'm trying to find Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I'm over land, but it's broken. I am sure I'm in the Keys, but I don't know how far down, and I don't know how to get to Fort Lauderdale. Aircraft listening out advised the naval air station of the problem and suggested that they triangulate a position from the leader's transponder. Then a call came stating, We're heading 030 degrees for 45 minutes, then we will fly north to make sure we are not over the Gulf of Mexico. Then someone in the formation said, Damn it, if we could just fly west, we would get home. Head west, damn it. Subsequent examination of the triangulation plot put the formation well north of where they should have been and more than a hundred miles out over the Atlantic. The leader radioed again. We'll fly 270 degrees west until landfall or running out of gas. A while later he called. Holding 270, we didn't fly far enough east, we may as well just turn around and fly east again. Finally, he called his formation with the chilling transmission. All planes close up tight. We'll have to ditch unless landfall. When the first plane drops below 10 gallons, we all go down together. When it was obvious that the formation had ditched, a PBM mariner took off to search for them. But later that evening, a ship reported flames from what appeared to be an explosion and although they made a search through a pool of oil and aviation gasoline, no survivors were found. The Navy investigation produced a 500-page report of the incident, which stated that the leader mistakenly believed that small islands he passed over were the Florida Keys, that his flight was over the Gulf of Mexico, and that heading northeast would take them to Florida.
It was determined that he had actually passed over the Bahamas as scheduled, and he did in fact lead his flight to the northeast out over the Atlantic. The report noted that some subordinate officers did likely know their approximate position, as indicated by radio transmissions, stating that flying west would result in reaching the mainland, but they continued to follow their instructor. The flight leader had only recently moved to Miami following a tour in the Pacific Theater, and it was believed that he misidentified the Grand Bahamas for another island, leading him to believe that both his compasses had failed. He set what he now believed to be a southwest course towards Fort Lauderdale, but was actually heading northwest out over the ocean. Confusion, misidentification and multiple heading changes followed until, completely spatially disorientated, he ran his flight out of fuel and ditched. The loss of the searching Mariner, an aircraft so notoriously accident-prone that they were nicknamed flying gas tanks, was put down to an ignition of gasoline vapours in its bilges, which destroyed it in mid-air. The loss of both the Mariner and the Avengers was far from uncommon. Records show that training accidents between 1942 and 1945 accounted for the loss of 95 aviation personnel from Naval Air Station Fort Lauderdale. Far from being unique and unusual, Flight 19's loss was merely one of many. These weren't, of course, the only unexplained aviation losses to occur. Back in 1881, Walter Powell went missing in his hydrogen balloon, Saladin, and no trace of him or his balloon was ever found. 1889 saw Edward Hogan disappear into thin air whilst flying a Campbell dirigicycle. He was never seen again. In 1927, the Dallas Spirit, also known as the Swallow Monoplane, vanished during an air race and the crew, William Irwin and Alvin Eichwald, were again never seen again. 1934 saw the completely unexplained disappearance of an airspeed envoy, flown by Charles Ulm, along with G. Littlejohn and J. Skilling. The famous Charles Kingford Smith, an immensely experienced pilot, and John Pethybridge, in a Lockheed Altair named the Lady Southern Cross, crashed in mysterious circumstances and were never found. 1938 saw the loss of an Avro Anson of 233 Squadron, and all four occupants were never seen again. It was in August 1945 that a Mitsubishi A6M0, piloted by Shiro Kawamoto, made an intriguing final radio call. Something is happening in the sky. The sky is opening up. Neither he nor his aircraft were ever found, nor has there been any explanation for the radio call or the disappearance. A Douglas D-54D Skymaster, carrying 44 people, disappeared in 1950 and despite one of the largest rescue efforts ever carried out by the US military, absolutely no trace of the aircraft 
nor the occupants were found. This particular loss represents one of the largest groups of American military personnel to ever go missing, and yet there is absolutely no explanation. Of note, two Douglas C-47 Skytrains, which were both participating in the search for the Skymaster, also crashed. Moving on, for no apparent reason, a Learjet 35A disappeared without trace in 1983, and an Antonov AN-32 took off never to be seen again in 1986. The list goes on, with a Boeing 727 vanishing in 2003, and an Embraer 720C with eight on board in 2018 meeting the same fate. A casual count indicates that at least 142 aircraft of one type or another, from crude aerostats and flimsy early aircraft to big airliners carrying many passengers, have disappeared in flight for reasons that have never been definitely determined, and meet the ICAO definition of missing, that is, when the official search has been terminated and the wreckage has not been located. As far as this tale goes, the important part of this list, which is probably only the tip of the iceberg, is that none of these mysteries that I have just mentioned occurred anywhere near the Bermuda Triangle. Indeed, according to the insurers Lloyds of London, and the U.S. Coast Guard, the percentage that go missing in the Bermuda Triangle is the same as anywhere in the world. In 1997, a Lloyd spokesman backed up their statement by adding that insurance premiums for voyages through the Bermuda Triangle were no higher than for any other routine sea journey. Triangle believers have used a number of supernatural concepts to explain the events that have occurred. One such explanation pins the blame on leftover technology from the mythical lost continent of Atlantis, such as the great Atlantean fire crystals that once provided so much of the tremendous power and energy that the city possessed. Apparently, from time to time, the force field emitted by these damaged crystals becomes very powerful, and any plane or ship coming within the influence of this force field disintegrates and is transformed into pure energy. Other writers attribute the events to UFOs. Authors of various books on anomalous phenomena list several theories attributing losses in the triangle to anomalous or unexplained forces, calling it the world's greatest mystery. In search of answers to a non-existent question, one author dares to consider such possible explanations as undersea bases established by extraterrestrial abductors, time warps that send hapless craft to other dimensions, and electronic fogs associated with something called the Hutchison Effect. An almost believable pseudo-scientific explanation was that explosive releases of methane gas from the seabed could sink ships. The only problem being that the most recent naturally occurring hydrate gas blowout off the southeastern United States 
probably occurred at the end of the glacial episode about 15,000 years ago or more. It's unlikely that aircraft would be affected and even an A320 can survive Captain Al's methane blowouts. By the way, I would just like to warn you that according to the Mesoamerican Long Count Calendar, the end date of the calendar's 5,126-year cycle heralded a cataclysmic event that has been interpreted as either a supermassive black hole in the centre of the galaxy which would result in the destruction of the Earth, or a collision with the mythical planet Nibiru, which would also result in the destruction of the Earth. When converted to the Gregorian calendar, the date came out as the 21st of December 2012. So, be careful out there. We're living on borrowed time. If you like this story and want to help Plain Tales, then why not leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. Plain Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy Show. You can find us at airlinepilotguy.com